0: So today we're going to go and we're going to go on to chapter four, and we're going to we're talking. with our subject today is walk worthy, because that's the thing that starts off in our chapter. Uh, It starts off with those words. So we want to read the first six verses, and I'm going to preach to you today an expository sermon on these uh, six verses. Now we do lots of different kinds of preaching here. There are lots of different kinds of preaching, and when we when think about preaching. There's lots of different ways you can communicate the Word of God. Jenny likes expository preaching. She likes going through the book. She says, start at the verse word and then just go through the words like that and then just explain what they mean and travel through the whole thing. And She says, I'm happy with expository. That's fine. Other people like storytelling. They tell a parable and they talk about the parable and talk about the meanings. Others have topical sermons. They speak on different topics here and there. Others have biographical sermons which talk about people's lives and they discuss the person's life right through the scripture. There are lots and lots of ways to preach the word of God. But today I'm going to do an expository sermon. So this is just going to be a teaching from this passage of scripture so we'll start and we'll read it and then we'll go through and we'll draw from it the things that God was showing me as we went through it I therefore the prisoner of the Lord beseech you that you walk worthy of the calling with which you were called with all lowliness and gentleness with long suffering bearing with one another in love endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace There is one body and one spirit, even as we are called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. Look at me. If there's one thing that's going to happen this morning while we're speaking is that the devil will try and distract your mind from what you are about to receive. The reason he does that is because if he can distract you, he can stop the word from going into your heart. The word says that you are to receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save yourself. So as you're receiving the word of God into your life, you have a choice as you sit here to receive it or to reject it. If you don't understand the word, the Bible tells us that when the word is cast onto the ground and it's hard and it's trodden down and there is no understanding of the word the devil comes and or the birds of the field comes and takes the seed away so you will get things and you'll think i don't understand that it may be a word that you don't understand it may be a concept that you don't understand Uh, if you get something that you don't understand you want to put an asterisk beside that and say i need to go and talk to mark later about that because i don't understand that because if you don't understand something the devil come and take it away and you will lose the benefit of that truth that you don't understand so you will face distractions this morning as i speak to you i want to just say right now that we pray that the lord jesus will take all of those distractions away from you so that you can focus in on the word of god it is more important that you receive now than anything else because your life determined how you live in the word That's how your life is determined. If you don't live in the Word, you live in somewhere else. And you need to live in the Word of God. Amen? And the Word of God needs to dwell in you. If you abide in me, Jesus said, Jesus, if the Word abides in you and you abide in the Word, you can ask whatever you will and you need to abide in the Word. So we're coming to the Word of God today. Look at me. Focus on what we're saying. Think about it. Make application in your life and ask God to reveal it to you. Don't be distracted by anything. This is the most important time of the service in terms of listening to God speak to us. We've told God how much we love him. We, we opened our mouths and we praised him. We opened our hearts and we poured out our offerings of prayer and thanksgiving and supplication to him. Now he says, I'm going to speak to you. And so he's going to speak to us through his word. Okay, here we are. I therefore... The prisoner of the Lord beseech you that you walk worthy of the calling which you have been called. The prisoner of the Lord. Now, it's interesting that Paul is actually writing this from a cell. He's writing this from a prison cell. And he has not said in this passage that I, therefore, the prisoner of the Roman army. He has not said, I, therefore, the prisoner of the uh, the. the Jews who set me up and and said something fraudulently against me and now I'm standing in chains because of that. He actually has chosen the chains that bind him. And I want you to think about that. When he says those words, I, the prisoner of the Lord, he didn't write those words for no reason. He wrote those words that you would understand something about the concept that's going on in his mind. He wants you to know that he is free that the only one that is enchaining him, the only one that actually puts chains about his life, is he has chosen that to be the Lord. He is the prisoner of the Lord. That means that when he is in a prison cell, he is free while he sits in the prison cell. The prisoner is the prisoner of the Lord. It's not the prisoner of the Roman army. So you choose your chains. If you go and read the books of uh, Ephesians, Colossians, Philippians... They're all written in jail. And if you read Philippians, it's, it's an anthem of praise. It's, he's rejoicing the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. And he is just overwhelming with praise. And, and there's lots of stuff happening in his life. He's hearing lots and stuff that's going on around about him. And, and there'd be lots of stuff that he could get disheartened about. And there'd be lots of stuff he could get confused about. But he's not even worried about it. When you read the book of Philippians, he's just overabundantly praising God he's full of God's praise. See, he's not caught in his situation and he's not caught by his situation. His situation haven't put chains around him. His situation is not clouding his mind. He is a prisoner of the Lord. You have to choose your chains. Everybody say, I need to choose my chains. I need to choose my chains. Here's in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 verse 19 and he's letting you know that he's free from everybody but he's chosen to be a slave. He says, though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. He's choosing his chains. He says, I am free from the responsibility of all men but now I am going to be a prisoner to you and to everybody i am going to be enslaved to them to bring jesus to them it's like that's a chain that i'm choosing i'm choosing to wrap myself up with the call of the god on my life for spreading the gospel and it doesn't matter who he came across if it was a jew he would speak to them like a jew if it was a gentile he'd start talking to them like a gentile if it was a roman he'd start talking to them like a roman if it was a poor man he would speak like a poor man a weak man he would speak like a weak man a strong man he'd talk like a strong man he said i'm chained to that i He chose his chain. You have to choose your chains in life. You cannot control the situation, the circumstances that crowd you. You cannot control the way people treat you. You cannot control what people say about you. You have to choose your chains. You have to choose what controls you. If you let other people dictate your life and dictate your freedom, dictate your happiness, if you let other circumstances around you be the ones that chain you up, you're going to be enchained all your life by somebody else. You have to choose your chain. You have to choose what is going to stop you from moving and what is going to make you move. That's your choice. And. Paul, the prisoner of the Lord, shows us in those three words that you choose your outlook on your circumstances, not the outlook or the circumstance. You choose how you deal with it. He's a prisoner of the Lord. We need to be a prisoner of God. We need to say, okay, God, you show me what you want me to think about this situation. You show me how to deal with this circumstance. Don't let this circumstance and this situation control my life and chain me up. Lord, you give me the victory in every circumstance. Help me to overcome right now and chain yourself with Jesus and his response to your circumstances. Amen? Close your eyes. Jesus, help us to choose our chain. We pray that the circumstances about us Will not determine our love for you or our love for others. But Lord Jesus, you would be the one that would chain us with your love. In Jesus' name. Amen. In First Corinthians chapter ten, twenty three he says, I have the right to do anything. You say, I have the right to do anything you say. But not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, you say. But not everything is constructive. Now, here in this passage of Scripture is talking about people's right to do things. I have a right to do whatever I want to do. He says, that's true. You can choose whatever you want. But what you do will enchain you. What you do will enslave you. Some things are beneficial and some things are not beneficial. You choose your chain with regard to the things that you give yourself to. If you give yourself to evil, you have the right and the freedom to do that. You have a moral choice. You can exercise that moral choice for God or you can exercise that against God. That's your, your, you can't escape the consequences of that, but you can exercise your right and your choice to do that. Not all things are beneficial. And when you exercise your choice, you exercise a chain. You chain yourself to good or you chain yourself to that which is not good. Romans chapter 6 says that explicitly. He says, don't you know that when you offer yourself to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves to the one you obey, whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. You say, I don't want to do the wrong thing. I don't want to be chained up with the wrong thing. I don't want to have anything exercising control or power over me. I don't want to be addicted to pornography. I don't want to be addicted to alcohol. I don't want to be addicted to drugs. I don't want to be addicted to fighting. I don't want to be addicted to anything that's bad. I want to be addicted to good. Well, you know what? The choice is yours you choose to submit to whatever it is that you are submitting to. If you submit to that thing that you know is not beneficial to you, you are the one that make the choice to chain yourself to it. Because the one that you obey, that is the one that will enslave you. Now, if you're like Paul, you say, I, Paul, the prisoner of the Lord, what are you saying there? Really, I don't have any choice in the matter. The choice is, God's choice because I'm his prisoner while we maintain our right to choose evil and good we would maintain our right to enslave ourselves to that which is bad if we give up our right to choose evil or good and say I only have one right and that's to choose good then sin cannot enslave us Because when it presents itself to us, we make no moral choice for it. We are dead to it. So our only choice is to choose to do what God wants us to do. So you choose your chains, friends. It says, I therefore the prisoner of the Lord beseech you that you walk worthy of the calling which you have been called. Now the word walk is an interesting word in the Greek because it means this thing. It says to walk. It says to make one's way, to progress, to make due use of opportunities. So that's the Greek word. When you see the word walk, the Greek word means, this is exactly what it means. It says to make one's way, to progress, to make due use of opportunities. The word due is to make use of opportunities when those opportunities present themselves to you. And as you go there, we see that you choose the path. Not only do you choose your chain, but you choose your path, you choose your pace, and you choose your opportunity. You choose your path, that's one's way. My way is not Heike's way. If it's God's way, we're on the same way. But her situations and her choices and her life is going to dish herself out differently to what it is mine. This week I heard you had car troubles. I heard you had... And I, and I pray for you that God overcame those situations in life. You know, I didn't have car troubles. Well, I did actually have car troubles this week. I, well, more maybe like yours, but I, I had my wife's car's problems. So, yeah. Well, you know, but we have our own problems. We all have our own lives. We all have our own situations. We all have our own pain and we all have our own problems. And we choose the path. We have to make progress because walk means progress. Progress means going forward. Progress is not regress. Regress is going backwards. Progress is going forwards. So in your walk, it means going forwards. It does not mean stumbling backwards. It means going forwards. So this word walk means forward, progress. And to make due use of opportunities, we all have opportunities, and those opportunities present themselves to us. And it's making and understanding that those opportunities are there for us and using them for God. So let's first have a look at choosing your own path because that's the way walk says walk. This is the word walk. This is what it means, to choose your own path. We're told in Proverbs chapter 14, verse 12, there is a way that seems right, but the end that leads to death. Choose your own path. There's a way that seems right, but in the end, it leads to death. One of the things that you hear young people say all the time, but... This is when you've told them, you know, they're not allowed to do something. They say, but, and then they say, everybody does it. How many has you have used that as an argument? Raise your hands if you've used that as an argument to somebody. Yes, but, everybody does it. Put your hand up high if you've used it. If you've said that to some person who's in authority, some person like a mother, or some person like a father, or some person like a well-meaning friend has come to you and said something, and then you've said, yes, but everybody does it put your hand up high i want to see if you use that argument yeah of course you did of course you did that's one of the common things we say we say that consensus determines our path what do i mean by consensus if everybody is walking down that path then that path must be right because the broadest way that's okay and then everybody's going down there it's like we lose a sense of responsibility because of the group dynamic it's an interesting thing. If you go into a football match and uh, there's, a, there's a fight that starts up between two people in a football match of the opposite team, uh, all of a sudden it breaks out and the whole stadium is fighting each other. And why? Uh, uh, and they will do some terrible things. They will kill people. They will stomp on people. They will hurt people really badly. And why do they do that in a group situation? You wouldn't do it one-on-one. Why would you do it in a group situation? Well, in a group situation, there's this shift in terms of our sense of responsibility. You know, you can't pin me because it's us. We all are doing it. So it's sort of like dispersed responsibility. So no one really is that everybody was doing it, so everybody has a go. Who booted that person and killed that person? Well, we don't know which kicked actually killed the person, but... Somebody kicked the person and the person died. All we know is the person is dead. Somebody kicked me. How many of these 50 people kicked the person? You're not going to put 50 people in jail because they kicked one person to death, are they? You only have to put the person who kicked the person to death. Well, we don't know. It's dispersed responsibility. I can't. Oh, now we've got cameras, you know. And the cameras sit up there and they look across the crowds, you know. And they look at them and they find the people responsible. They find the ringleaders and they, they, the crowd goes mild, wild and everybody's kicking and punching and everybody's doing because they think they can escape because they're in a big crowd. And what the camera does is it picks out their faces and finds out where they live because they know where you live. They know what your face looks like. They come looking for you. And they come knocking on the door and say, The day of... Responsibility has come now. You cannot hide in the crowd. You have to choose, you chose a path, you're going to be held responsible. There is a day coming when the camera of heaven will shine on your life. You will see that God has seen everything that you have done, every thought that you have thought. He will shine directly onto you. Your day of responsibility is coming. You say, Everybody did. He says, I'm not talking about everybody now, I'm talking about you. You chose your path. Friends, you need to choose your path wisely. He says, enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many enter through through it but small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life and fewer those who find it. You know what we're looking for in life? It's not people who do what everybody else does. We're looking for people who go against the flow, people who go against the crowd, people who stand up when everybody's sitting down, people who stand up and say, no, it's time to stand up. In the Old Testament, when when everybody was bowing down to an idol, four, three little... Jewish people says, we will not bow to Nebuchadnezzar's idol. We will not bow. We will stand. Well, we're going to put you in the fire and we're going to cook you seven times hotter than hot. Well, I don't whether you cook us seven times hotter than hot, it's not up to us to determine. But we will not bow. We will not bow. Everybody else is bowing down. These three men refused. So they cooked the fire, made it hot, seven times hotter than hot, and they threw them into it. And the guys that threw them into it got burned alive and killed by the heat of the fire. And there in the midst of the fire, as they're standing around and walking in the fire, God was faithful to them. And one like like Jesus was standing there with them. And their ropes had burned off them, but they were not burned because Jesus honors those who, who stand up and choose their path. It may mean you die when you choose your path, but it's better to die doing the right thing than to live doing the wrong. Everybody say that. It's better to die doing the right thing than to live doing the wrong. Say it again, it's better to die doing the right thing than to live doing the wrong. You got that? It's better to die doing the right thing than to live doing the wrong. Choose your path. We have a scripture in Romans chapter. Thirteen verses eleven and twelve, and he says, and and that now knowing the time that now it is high time to awake from of sleep, uh, awake out of sleep. For now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. The night is fast spent, the day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the work of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. You know, the Bible says in the last days, because wickedness abounds because evil is everywhere evil didn't just live outside our home it's come to live in our house it sits there and it speaks to us in the corner we turn it on in the morning and we turn it on at night it, it may run all day and talk to us all day just to have it something talking in the house it'd be there in a magazine it'd be there on a the tv it'll be there in your computer screen it's just sit and talk to you There to distract you it used to be outside but it's everywhere now and it it just undermines and just cuts away until your values change until your beliefs change it just cuts away and undermines and your children sit and watch the 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 children play and they have lovely little movies that teach your children that same-sex marriages are normal and they have things that going on that show you that you've just got to believe in yourself they they present all these kind of things and your kids just gobble it up and it's good for you because you don't have to look after the kids because they're a Resort. it's everywhere evil is everywhere, it abounds everywhere and you're not watching it, it's looking at you it's coming and finding some time to get you it's everywhere, evil abounds it's everywhere, and when evil abounds, the love of most grow cold, because what happens is it undermines your conviction and it undermines the strength of what you believe, it undermines the path at which you walk takes it away and when it takes it away, what you left? You're left with consensus. What's consensus? Everybody does it, it must be okay. Premarital sex, everybody does it, it must be okay. You know, living with somebody before you get married, cohabiting. Eighty-five to ninety percent of people cohabit, live together before they get married. It must be okay. Trouble is the stats tell us that ninety-three per cent of those who do that. End in divorce or separation. Doesn't work. It doesn't work. Consensus doesn't choose your path. I had one couple come to me and say, oh, "When is?" And they were talking about Ben and Ray. When is Ben moving in? Renee, moving in with Renee. You know, I said, "No, that, that's not the pattern of marriage in, in our house." Well, everybody lives together before they get married. This is a Christian couple who were talking to me. I said, no, they don't. I said, marriage is the commencement of a relationship, not the consolidation of a relationship. It's the commencement of a relationship. Well, when are they moving in together? No, they're not. They're going to get married, and then they're going to move in together, and then they're going to have a baby. No, they're not going to to move in together, have a baby, and then get married. That's consensus. Move in together, have sex before marriage, have a baby, we better get married. That's consensus. It is the way of death. The biblical way is have a relationship with God, love God with all your heart, find somebody who loves God with all their heart, build a relationship with them that loves God with all their heart, enter into a betrothal relationship where you're accountable, get married, begin your relationship, move in together and have a child that's the pattern of scripture just in case you didn't know you see choose your path it's it's high t- well when should we wake up about that we should have woken up a long time ago about that you know the fact that people think that we need a voice so who's going to be that voice it's high time we had a voice it's high time we spoke but who's going to speak well, what will happen, Adolphin, when somebody says to you and comes to you, say to you, you know, well, I'm going to move in with so-and-so. Where will that voice be? Will it be in a dolphin? Will Adolphin say it's high time to choose my path now? I might not be accepted here, but I'm going to speak here. I'm going to choose my opportunity now and I'm going to speak. I'm going to let what I believe know. Why do you believe that, Adolphin? Well, that's old-fashioned. Well, that's so archaic. It's not much. We are living in a modern world. Yes, haven't you noticed? I notice we're living in a modern world, and I cry about that. God, bring back some old-time morality. I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling by which you are called. To walk is to progress. You have to choose your pace, I need to choose my pace. And not only do you choose your path, but you choose the pace on which you walk on that path. Have you noticed that? Some people walk quickly and some people... Who, how many people walk around the block here? Yeah, that's right. And do, do you ever find if you're walking on a path with somebody who's... There's the different reasons for walking. There's some people who are taking time to walk around. They're looking, you know, they're, they're checking things out. How are you going? And they're talking and they're walking around nice and steady, you know? And, you know, they're usually older folk. And they usually taking time to smell the roses, you know. Taking time to look at the bird life, taking time to explore what's going on. Looking at the neighbour's yard, looking at them, looking forward to saying g'day to somebody walking the opposite direction. Hi, how you going? I can spend time here to talk, you know. And then there's other people who walk, you know, and they walk in their dog, you know, And The dog is leading them, and it's going everywhere. And they're just pulling it away, you because know, it wants to bite everybody who goes near them, you know. So there's, and then there's other ones who are power walking. It always seems to me to be hilarious. There's a couple of things I laugh about in life, and power walking is one of those things. It's like these people are so bent up going somewhere, but they're going nowhere. You know? It's like, watch out, I'm on my way. If I were to actually get you, I would destroy you. It's like they take off and they're tearing 100 miles an hour, and you think, where are you going? What's go-? They're not going, and they just turn around and went back the other way. I think, Did I just see that? Did you just turn around and go back the other way? Yes, what do you do? I'm just burning up the calories. Oh, seriously. I just roll along, you know. I understand that. If I ever fall over, I'll rock myself to sleep before I get back up. <laughs> I'm not like you, buddy. I'm just fat and flourishing. But that's okay. I've got to choose my pace in God, too. You know, it says here, our lives gain meaning when we help people progress. Paul, you know, he was in Philippians... It must have been hard in in the jail when he was talking to the Philippians. He's saying, I I don't... And this is first chapter. He says, I don't know what to choose. He says, I don't know whether to choose to live or to choose to die. You ever been so depressed in your life or so... The hardship is so tough that you just choose... I I think that dying and going to be with the Lord would be better than living. If you ever felt that way, young people, have you felt that? Have you felt that? A young person your age felt it so hard at home... uh, Just want to die. Oh dear, Mum, Dad, I have to talk to you about that. That's a serious thing in a young person's life. Look, I I can I can experience that myself. You know, yes, sometimes it's so tough. You just want to die. You don't want to live anymore. It's like it's so hard doing this thing. And Paul must have felt that when he was in jail. You know, this jail wasn't pleasant for him. The jail cell wasn't nice, and he he was. Choosing his chains and blessing the, in God and praising God and, and worshiping God. And, and then he's in Philippians, he says, I don't know what to choose. He says, I don't know whether to choose to live or whether to choose to die. He says, oh, I want to go. I want to go to be with Jesus. far better to be with Jesus. Uh, and this is something, he wasn't saying that he could just kill himself, you know, I'll go and hang myself in the corner, you know, because I've got a pity party going on. I don't know. He, all he needed to do to choose his death was to stand up and start preaching real loud. And by John, like John the Baptist, you'd get your head chopped off. He could choose that. But he sort of, why didn't he do that? This is why he didn't do be, But in be, being confident in this, I know that I shall remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy and faith. He says, you know, I'm not choosing to opt out here because I want to stay with you to help you get along in progress. And your, you know, so one, one thing that people have said to me, Mark, why do you still do this? Seriously, they've said to me, Why are you still pastoring? You know, by this time, with what you've been through, I would have quit a long time ago. I would have just leave. Why do you go through this stuff? You know, and, I, and I, seriously, if, you're, if you have a life of a pastor, you'd understand what that is like. It's a serious temptation at times to say, You know, we can make the pain go away by making all the people go away. <laughs> When I make all the people go away, I can live by myself in my little hole, in my little garden and look at the flowers and smell the roses and it's all very nice. But you know what? There's no meaning in that for me. The meaning is in the fact that I can help you progress. It's not about the pain that I endure. It's about seeing you progress in life. Why do I continue on when many people leave us? Why do we continue on? We continue on because you are still here and you are still progressing. And that to me gives me meaning. I like that. I think that's important. I think that's what it's about. And if you have me as long as I'll be here, I can kick the stuff. I'll kick the stuff till the day I die if you don't mind. Because this is the attitude of Paul. You've got to choose your path. And choosing to help others in their path is a very dignified way of living. Seriously. He says to uh, uh, Timothy, this is how you choose your pace. Let no one despise your youth. Be an example to the bre- believers in word and conduct and love and spirit and faith and in purity." Now, the Timothy was a young bloke and A young pastor, and, and Paul mentored him. He, he's the guy who set him up. You know, Timothy, I'm going to train you. I'm going to teach you how to do it. Now I'm sending you to Ephesus. So he's now ministering at Ephesus. He's, Paul was sending this letter to Timothy, and Timothy at this point of time was in the church at Ephesus, looking after the church at Ephesus. And he says, uh, this is how I want you to live. Until I come, give attention to the reading, to exhortation and to doctrine. He says, I want you to make sure that you're doing all these things in the church. Do not neglect the gift that is in you which you have give, which was given to you in prophecy by prophecy by the laying on of my hands in the, of the eldership. He says, um, meditate on these things. Give yourselves entirely to them that your progress may be evident to all. Now, whether you like to be on show or not, you are. You can actually see a person's progress. You can see their progress or you can see their regress. You look at a person and you can see a person is going on for God and growing in God or a person is cooling off. Um, just imagine if there was a sign on top of your head, a big, big video sign, like a, big, bigger than my camera, you know, up the top there. And, it's on there. and on it it had the words, going forward or going backwards. Just imagine that. If you're all walking around and everybody say hello, how are you? And, you and, and then you'd look at you and then you'd look at the sign on top of your head and it said, going forward or going backwards. It'd just give an indication of where you're progressing. And you'd come to church some days and there would be some people and they'd be sitting at the back where Andy Kathy's sitting. And on their sign on the top of their head would be this thing flashing, going backwards, going backwards, going backwards. You'd get other people sitting at the front where hiking is, and on the top of their head, it would be saying a flashing sign and going, moving forward, moving on, going forward, moving on. So you'd get that. You'd get that, you see. And you know, it'd be amazing. You'd be amazed because there is no sign on top of their head, but it's interesting how back seats and front seats actually indicate that. It's interesting. (laughs) In some churches. (laughs) In some churches. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) You'd be, you'd be amazed. It doesn't happen in this church because Christa's sitting in the back and she's going forward with Jesus. So you'd be amazed. In some churches, larger churches, you know that's exactly what it is. People who don't want to get too near to what's going on in the front sit at the back so they can watch. This is too small to be part of that because everywhere you can be seen. But if this church was 200, 300, the back... People in the back rows would just be watching. When it comes time to pray, they wouldn't be jumping up and coming out to pray. They'd be sit there watching what's going on, talking about it. And the sign on their head would be flashing, going backwards, going backwards, going backwards. Some of, those, some of those things in life are evident, but you have to make a decision. Meditate on these things. Give yourself entirely to them that your progress may be evident to all. God wants your progress to be evident. There's something about Something that's encouraging when somebody's moving forward. When, Ruth first, when you first came into the church, Ruth, we watched you. And you came into the church and you had this way about you that was really authentic. When it came time to praise, you got down on your knees and you just lifted up your hand. We don't do that here. I mean, we don't do that. We, we, when was the last time you got anybody to get down on their knees and lifted up their hands in the church? Well, I know the African people do that. Yeah. But we don't do that. Cause it, well, I don't know why. We should, shouldn't we? Yeah. But Ruth did that in front of us. That wasn't a great encouragement. I mean, so to look at that. And Because she didn't do it to, for you. She didn't do it for anybody. She just did it because she loved Jesus. And, she, and on the top of her head, there was a little sign that popped up and said, I'm moving forward. I'm going on. That was what was there. It was evident. It was evident. And that encouraged me. That encouraged me. I mean, I get encouraged when I see people moving forward. If you want to encourage me and if you want to excite me, just move forward in God because I get extremely excited when I see people progress in God. Why? Because my life is about getting people to progress in God. That's what's so exciting. It's high time we wake up, it's high time we... He said, take heed to yourself and to the doctrine. Continue in them, for in doing this you will save both yourself and those who hear." You have to choose your pace. Some people walk slowly, and some people walk fast. Some people move quickly in one direction, and some people just standing and drifting out. You choose your pace. God doesn't choose that for you. You have to choose that. So if you get distracted by stuff that's going around you, you know that those distractions are gonna stop you or slow your pace. If you're running a a hundred yards, uh, the idea when you're doing a hundred meter sprint is that you look down and you don't let anything distract you. You set your focus down there and when you you get yourself all tied up and you're looking right at the end where you're gonna go, you're in your lane and then when the thing goes bang and it's away, Everything just bursts into your, your blood, goes right to your legs, and your legs start bang, bang. And you haven't, sh- you haven't taken your eye off where you're going. And for the next 100 meters, you're just looking and you're striding and pushing and pushing with your eyes fixed. You're going forward. You're doing something. You know, you've got your eyes fixed. You get somebody who's distracted. They're going to do that, and then somebody jumps, runs up, and runs across the track in front of them. Well, you know, well, straight away, what What's happened? you know what the devil does he doesn't even have to do anything to you he just has to distract you you started so well what stopped you in your run well you don't understand mark it was this thing that happened in my life if you were in my i have my own distractions You could never understand what it's like to be a woman. Yes, I live with one. I do. Your distractions won't go away. Fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and the finisher of your faith. Get your eyes there and pump those arms and legs. You determine your pace. If you're not convicted and convinced about where you're going, you will be distracted. And everything will distract you. I therefore as the prisoner of the Lord ask you and beseech you to walk worthy of the calling which you have called. To walk means to make due use of your opportunities. To use your opportunities. In Ephesians chapter 5 verses 15 to 16 it says be careful then how you live. not Not as unwise but as wise. Making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. I have never seen anybody like Chandel, who is convinced that she should make the most of every opportunity I know you're going to kill me Shandell but that's okay now the reason I want to say this is because I think it's a good thing I, I, she doesn't think it's a good thing she says it's so annoying have you ever heard Shandell uh, say it's annoying how many people have heard Shandell saying it's annoying here yeah. Shandell believes in heaven Shandell believes that Jesus died to get us to heaven Chandel believes that men and women are lost in their sins and are going to hell without Jesus. And she believes that she has a moral responsibility to share the gospel with people that are around her. One of the things in life that makes Chandel so annoyed is that every time she sees a person without Jesus, she sees an opportunity. That's so annoying, isn't it? Yep, yeah, she says, yep, you got me. That's so annoying. You know why? Because it says make most of those opportunities. Just imagine what would happen if every time you bumped into a person who wasn't committed to Jesus, you saw an opportunity to share your faith. And just imagine if you were like Chandel, and you walked away after that and you didn't share yourself, and you say, oh, It's so annoying. I just can't. It's hard to live this life because it's like, I want to share my faith, and I didn't get an opportunity to share my faith, or it didn't come around. I didn't get that opportunity to do what I wanted to do in God. That's someone who knows that they have one life. Someone who knows that God's gift to them is their time. And somebody who knows that the opportunities that present themselves to them are God's opportunities for them to take. And that can be so annoying at times. But you choose your opportunity. That's part of walking worthy. Choosing your opportunity. Choosing your pace. Choosing your path. That's part of the walk. Choose your path. Choose your pace. Choose your opportunities. Galatians chapter six ten says: Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. Imagine when somebody comes to you and they and, and they walk away and you and you they leave and you feel this feeling: I should have given them what I was going. In my mind, I thought that I should help them this way, and then they walk out the door, and you know you didn't do it. You could have been good and kind to them. You could have offered them a cup of tea. You could have offered them $20 for whatever they needed or whatever it was, you know, but you didn't do it. Colossians chapter four, verse five, and be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Why? Because why is opportunity so important? Because opportunity is part of the walk. He says, walk worthy. It's part of the walk. You have to choose your path. You have to choose your pace and you have to choose your opportunity. That's part of living the walk. That you're meant to be walking for God. So it says, uh, therefore, walk worthy. So the walk worthy to walk is to make one's path, one's pace, and one's opportunity. What's worthy then? Or of your calling? Walk worthy is uh, um, to the standard that's required that God has set. The calling is an invitation. Everyone has been called. You're not saved unless you've been called, okay? And if you responded to Jesus, like you felt that your, your sins were there and you needed to have Jesus, ask, ask Jesus to forgive you of your sins, and you felt the conviction of your sin. That conviction was the calling of God to, for you to come to have repentance, to have faith in God. So you responded to him. You received that calling. It was the grace of God calling you to come and to repent. It was the grace of God calling you to have God's... Uh, grace poured out upon your life so that your sins would be forgiven. You were responding to the invitation of God. You did not choose him. He chose you. He spoke to you beforehand. you responded to his call, his invitation, so he called you it 's an invitation to leave somewhere and to go somewhere it 's an invitation to do something when you get it that 's what the word says a divine invitation to embrace salvation of god that 's the calling when you 're invited to embrace something invitation come with me brother come come come. thank you thank you now I, I gave him an invitation he received an invitation to come to me he responded to that invitation in the affirmative he reached out his hand and he took my hand what did he do he left somewhere to come to where I am an invitation implies one thing you are going to leave somewhere to go somewhere to do something what are we going to do Nothing, no, yeah, nothing. You sit down. <laughs> An invitation implies that you are leaving somewhere to go somewhere to do something. So when you are leaving, you are leaving sin and you're going towards salvation to do something. Good works, the Bible says. To do good works. You leave sin, which are bad works, to do good works. You leave the flesh which is being governed and directed by your body and by the impulses of your body and you leave that to be governed by the Spirit of God who lives within you. So you are leaving the governance of the flesh and submitting yourself to the governance of God's Holy Spirit. You're leaving death and you're going to life. You're leaving the death that has come as a result of the sinful life that you behave, be behaving in. You're leaving the death of the sin behind and you're entering into a new and a living way, which is fashioned by God for you. You're leaving one thing and entering into another thing. To walk worthy of the calling is to recognize that when you responded to God, you were called out of to go to something. That's why you choose your path. That's why you choose your chains. That's why you choose the pace. That's why you choose your opportunity. Because you recognize that when you were invited, you left something and you went to somewhere to do something. And that doing something is the walking that you are going to do. I mean, I think that a lot of times in Christendom, we get get saved and what is it? It's like, you know, what is it? We just come to church to have happy times with other happy people. It's not about that. It's not about having a Christian club where we can all go, it's not about that. It's not about having joyful times of bliss. It's about recognizing that you are now on a mission, that God has called you from some state to take you to another state and that walk... It's going to make you choose differently now in life. You are going to choose the things that will enslave you. You will choose the path that you take. You will choose the pace on which you walk. And you will choose your opportunities. And that's part of what this whole calling is about. You come out of to go into. You with me? This is not an event. Hollywood has an event. Let's all come to an event. So if if your church service becomes an event where we all come together and it's an event, okay, did you go there? We had, oh, it's just great. Ah, we have a great event. This is not an event. It's a lifestyle. There's a big difference between an event and a lifestyle. An event happens within a lifestyle. I like my wife when she kisses me with the kisses of her mouth. That's sweet That's an event But marriage is not all kisses Marriage is something bigger and broader It's actually going someplace Marriage is having children Marriage is putting those children in an education It's training them up in the the ways of the Lord Marriage is Building our lives stronger and stronger and extending the web of our relationships out to embrace others so that we all get together to go in the right direction. That's marriage. Building a family, building a community, building a tribe, building a a city. That's a marriage. That's what marriage is about. It's not about kisses. Kisses is the event. You are not called to kiss Jesus. You're called to walk worthy with them. Kissing Jesus is an event in the marriage. The marriage is where we're at. And church is living in a family. It's part of the marriage. And it's not always going to be smooth. And it's not smooth, friends. Friends when it is not smooth, do not look for the door and walk away. Look for the person and fix it up. You understand? Because when you look for the door and walk away, you neglected something very, very important. You know what you neglected? You neglected family. You neglected the family. It's the family. He says, be completely humble and gentle. Is that the time? Oh, strike. <laughs> I can smell the food. <laughs> this, is, this is my last one. I'll go, I'll go back here another day. Okay. Be humble. I'm going to talk to everyone. Expository preaching takes a while. So anyway, here we go. I like humble. One thing, one prayer, don't ever pray this prayer. Lord, humble me, because he just might do that. Don't, don't ever pray that. If, you, if you're if you tempted to pray that prayer, don't, because you will eat it. <laughs> and don't ever pray the prayer, I am so thankful that I am so humble. <laughs> That's not a good prayer to pray either. <laughs> Just leave humility over there and and watch it very respectfully. (laughs) Let God work it out in you without you actually asking for it or being proud about it. The word humble has these three meanings. And I'm just going to talk with these and then I'm going to stop. It says, to have a humble opinion about oneself. Very interesting. To have a humble opinion about oneself. What do you think about yourself? We are told since the 1970s that you have to have a good self-esteem. In the 1970s, this whole train of thinking of good self-esteem, that people do bad things because they have a bad self-esteem, came out. Well, we found that science has proven that it's not true that people who do bad things do not have a bad self-esteem. We found out that people who do really, really bad things have a very, very high self-esteem. And they have such a high self-esteem, it's so, they're called narcissists. They love themselves so much that they expect they can do whatever they like to anybody else and it doesn't matter. So narcissism, which is an incredible love of self, is the core root of the very bad things in life, not poor self-esteem. Poor self-esteem is probably getting closer to where you ought to be. Get a good dose of what you look like when you compare yourself with Jesus. Don't stand there with a good self-esteem. Compare yourself to Jesus and say, Jesus, here's you, here's me. That's the beginning of humility. It says, uh, humble yourself. Have a humble opinion of yourself. See yourself as Jesus sees you. That's a good start. I like this. A deep sense. Everybody say, a deep sense. What does that mean? A deep sense. That means at the core of you, at the very center of you, you have a deep sense of your moral Littleness. Well, if you knew the Bible like I knew the Bible, (laughs) you wouldn't struggle with the things that you struggle with. A deep sense of one's moral littleness. The Pharisee stood before God and lifted his hands. I am so grateful that I am not like this sinful person. You know what? I think that you understand moral littleness because if you were to put on a screen on the front the things that you were thinking about and the things that you thought about that caused you pain in your moral nature, you would be ashamed. So you are well aware of your moral littleness. And you know what? That's a good thing. Don't get rid of that. Hang on to that. Ah. Oh, I didn't say hang on to the sin I said hang on to your understanding of your weakness because if you hang on to the understanding of your weakness and you see how weak and how pitiful you really are then Jesus can be very big in you if you think that you have something and you are not then you don't let Jesus do what he can but if you recognize that there is no one here that is perfect and no one that has it together, that we are all broken, and you may struggle with emotional things. Well, no one ever, el- we think, no one else struggles with this. This is just me. You know what? It's not true. Every person in this place, touch the person beside you. You're already doing it. <laughs> touch the person beside you. You can touch me, Shanda. That person that you just touched, that person that you just touched this week struggled with morality. That person you just touched had some difficulty that they faced in some area of their life. Now they come to a church where they think everybody's got to be perfect. So you all stand around and work perfect, look perfect, nice perfect. But you know what? This humility would, would bring you to a place where you understand that this is a church of brokenness. Where people are broken. And with that, there's the sense of gentleness that comes along with that. We will recognize well, no one's here saying we're all perfect. We're all busted and we're all dealing with the brokenness. You know what? We all have to get up and we all have to get and make sure that our walk is worthy. We have to make, we choose our chains. Every day, Mark Reed has to choose his chains. Every day, he has to choose his path. Every day, he has to choose his, uh, his pace that he walks that path. Some days, he's walking slowly. Some days, he's drifting backwards. Some days, he... But every day, I'm saying, you better get yourself going, Mark. Get yourself going. Choose your pace. And I'm choosing my opportunities. Every day, we're doing that. We're making those choices. That's what it is to walk with. It's not an event. It's not a Sunday thing. It's a lifestyle. And that's enough. There's more, so much more in God. Take this. Just take it in. Jesus, help me get this. That this is not just going to church on Sunday and then struggling through the week. This is life. Help me in my life. Help me to walk worthy. Let's stand. I want you to join hands with people now beside you now, just because I think that it's important that you feel connected with one another. People that you're touching are going through different stages of life. There's lots and lots of things happening in everybody's life here. Everybody is struggling with something. I want you to just stop thinking about yourself now and think about the people that you're touching. When they came here today, they needed something. They needed something. They came here to get a touch from the Lord. They came here to get a touch from Jesus. Right now, you're going to become Jesus to that person. You're going to pray for them. You're going to ask God to minister to them. You're going to ask God to touch them and quicken them. You're going to forget about yourself now, and you're going to think about that other person and think, Jesus Help me in their progress. Jesus, do the work that you need to do in this person that's touching my hand. Help me to strengthen them to go on in Jesus right now. So we're going to pray a prayer. I'm going to pray, and I'm going to ask you pray in your mind fervently, earnestly. In your mind. Don't have to. You can say it with your mouth if you like, but just in your mind is fine. Lord Jesus, I ask that you would touch the person beside me, Lord on both of my hand and my left hand and my right hand, that you would minister into their situation, that they would walk worthy for you, Lord Jesus. Lord, help me, Lord Jesus, to send to them now through this touched hand the love of God and the strength of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit to minister into their life, Lord Jesus. I don't know what they've gone through. I don't know what they've seen, Lord Jesus. I don't know what they've heard, Lord Jesus. I don't know what's happened to them, Lord Jesus. But I pray that you would strengthen them, Lord Jesus, and help them move forward today in Jesus' name. Lord, that your power would be there for them today in Jesus' name. Jesus' name that the thing that they came to receive lord jesus they would receive from you now in jesus name we pray we ask it in the name of jesus in jesus powerful name that you break every chain lord jesus and only put yourself about them your loving arms about them and embrace them and chain them with yourself lord jesus we ask it in jesus mighty name and everyone said amen god bless you